Welcome to another episode of Daf Shui, Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so, and I'll give you a Daf or so. Actually, today we're going to do an Amud and not a Daf. Now there's one side of a folio, not a whole folio, because kind of this uh, week goes down in a rabbit hole, and next week is going to go down a rabbit hole, a different rabbit hole. So we're going to stay in this week's rabbit hole. It'll be a little bit, probably less than 40 minutes. But welcome to the Beit Midrash in the Closet. And the social isolation within the coronavirus. Today was Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day, and the day that we remember six million Jews and millions of others who were killed in the Holocaust, in Shoah, and we hold them close to us and grieve what could have been done, and I just want to start with a little Agarita story that's found in Brachot on 3a. Tanya, there is a bright Amar Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi said, One time I was walking on the way and I went into one of the ruins of the ruins of Jerusalem, the Tepalelba, in order to pray. And every ruin in Jerusalem points to the one ruin, which is the destruction of the temple. Rabbi Yossi lived after the destruction of the temple. Elijah the prophet, the one who comes around to all our satyrs, came and stood and guarded the door. Until I finished my prayer. After I finished my prayer, he said to me, Peace be unto you, my master. And I replied to him, Peace be unto you, my master and my teacher. And he said to me, Why did you go into this ruin? I said, I wanted to pray. He said to me, You should have prayed along the way. And I said to him, I was fearful lest passers-by stop me on my prayer. And he said to me, you should have prayed a shorter prayer, and then that way you would have gotten around that problem. And that hour, I learned three things from him. The first thing I learned was that you don't go into a ruin. And that you can pray along the way. And I learned that one who prays along the way has to pray a shortened prayer. And he said to me, What sound did you hear while you were in the ruin? I said, actually, I heard a voice that was moaning like a dove and saying, Woe is to the children for whose sins I destroyed my house and I burnt my sanctuary and I exiled them amongst the nations. And he said to me, Elijah said to me, Buy your life and the life of your head. It's not only at this moment when you were praying that that voice says that. But every single day, three times a day, there's that voice, that divine voice that says that. And not only that, At any point that Israel, the Jews, go into the synagogues and the study halls, and the answer, the answer for the Kaddish, let God's name be blessed. The master of the universe nods his head, and he says, happy is the king that they praise him in his house in such a way. Woe is to the father 
who exiled his children, and woe is to the children who were exiled from their father's table. So this story is both about Rabbi Yossi going into a ruin and not about Rabbi Yossi going into a ruin. It's about Rabbi Yossi trying to get back into the destroyed Beit HaMikdash, into the destroyed temple and praying there, and Elijah having to teach him that everything was different now. After the destruction, everything was different, and that now you have to pray on the road, now you have to pray a shortened prayer, now you can pray on the road, and it is different. And also, Elijah had to teach Merbiosi that the answer to your prayer is not the little red wagon, is not the desire of your heart, but the answer to your prayer is God mourning. Not only that, but every time that Israel prays and says Kaddish, God mourns with Israel. And so this is, in my mind, the image, this is the image that comes to my mind when I think about Yom HaShoah, when I think about the Holocaust, and especially now in the time of coronavirus, because the image here is an image of desolation, of emptiness. It's going to be going into a ruin instead of being able to go into the temple. Nowadays, we look outside on a whole different scale, but nowadays when we look outside, it is empty. The emptiness of spaces that should be filled with people. And so that brings back this sadness of God mourning. And when we say Kaddish for the six million, what we are doing is mourning with God and at the same time, perhaps strengthening God. And so today we hold in our minds the Kaddish and in our hearts for the six million people who were killed in the Shoah. And now in their memory, we continue learning Gemara because that was the Beit Midrash the study halls, the study halls in our hearts, the portable homeland was the thing that could not be killed. So we, we're starting on the bottom of 21B, Chaf Aleph Amud Bet, two lines from the bottom in the layout that was made popular by the brothers and the widow Ram in Vilna, Lodi's 150 years ago. We're going to go back. We did this, this line last week, but we're going to go back because this is the beginning of the rabbit hole. Amar of Yosef. Rabbi Yosef said, And Rav Huna said, Rabbi Yosef said that Rav Huna admits that in the case of teachers of children, one cannot stop them from moving into the courtyard. Remember, that was the whole discussion last week. Can you stop a person from opening up a store or starting a certain type of a business in a joint courtyard? Rav Huna says you cannot stop the Makri Dardiki, those who teach the children. The Amar Mar, and now here we have a dispute about amongst the different versions. So we'll read what is written in the parentheses in the printed editions. The Amar Mar for it was said, Ezra Sofer Sofer. Ezra ordained for Israel that they should seat one teacher next to another teacher. So you should have two teachers. Right? So therefore, remember we said before, is that they make sure that their teaching is, is accurate. So or don't we worry, the Stam asks, the editor, don't we worry that this way, if there are two teachers, so one of them will, okay, what do I care? There's another one here if I make a mistake. So he won't prepare enough. They said, no. The jealousy amongst, or the competition amongst teachers will enlarge the amount of wisdom, will make wisdom greater. So now if we look, if if you're in the printed editions, and I'll, of course, put links on the podcast page, the top Tosvot on 22a points out, V'lagar sinan, k'moshiesh b'svarim 
So he points out that there is that 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 we don't, or meaning we Tosvot, doesn't use the version, doesn't have the version, or include the version, the variant that says that Ezra ordained for Israel that they should sit two teachers one next to the other. So it just goes Amar Mar Kinat Sofrim Right? What is the reason that you cannot stop a person for opening up? A place to teach children because it said cannot sofrim because it is the competition in Torah study that makes wisdom great, which can also be understood just like that, as opposed to the answer to the question, aren't you worried that one will will get careless? But here's the interesting thing. Now there are manuscripts that have this line, there are manuscripts that don't have this line. The reason that Tosot says you don't have the line is not because he thinks that the manuscripts without the line are better manuscripts in the sense that they have a better transmission history, though they think they are better he thinks they are better manuscripts, or they think they are better manuscripts, because of the following reason. The reason is, the reason that we don't, that Tosa does not include this line in his version of the Gemara, he says that this variant doesn't work, is because of the fact that in the list of ordinances that Ezra ordained, the 10 ordinances, this one of setting a teacher next to another teacher is not listed in those ordinances. So now the question comes up, which we'll get into in a minute, what are those 10 ordinances and where do they come from? And how did Ezra get here? All right, so we'll move on, and then we'll get back. Go forward one line, and two lines, and then we'll get back. Amar of Nachman bar Yitzchak. Nachman bar Yitzchak adds another thing, another complication to who's allowed to be in the, the city, who's allowed to sell, who's allowed, remember we said that you're not allowed to move into the city and open up a store, which is head-to-head competition, or within the, the chatzer, within the courtyard, or within perhaps within the city, or the in, within the alleyway. Moda Rav Huna Breda Rav Yeshua, Rav Nachman Yitzchak says that Rav Huna Breda Rav Yeshua exceeds or admits that it, with peddlers who go from city to city, you're not allowed to, you can't stop them from selling their wares. Why? Because of the fact that we have this statement elsewhere, because Ezra says that Ezra ordained for Israel, for the Jewish community, that peddlers should go around from city to city in order that there would be jewelry found for the daughters of Israel. So there are a bunch of things here that are interesting. Right? First of all, again, we have this this ordinance, Ezra's ordinance. What is the Ezra's ordinance? Secondly, what does it mean that Tachshitim Mitzvim live no Yisrael, right, for Jewish women? Okay, so the Ten Takanot. The first time we find Ten Takanot is in, um, we had, there's a list of Ten Takanot in Bavakama, right, in the Babli Bavakama 82a. But there's an earlier list, which is not named as Ten Ordinances, which is in, but there are Ten Ordinances there, which is in the Palestinian Talmud, in Yerushalmi, in Megillah, fourth chapter, the end of the first halacha. And it actually starts with the Takana that Moshe ordained. Right? Moses our teacher. Moshe hitkin et Yisrael sheyu korin batorah b'shabatot v'yumim tovim uvrashe chodashim uvcholos shel moed. So Moses ordained that Jews should read from the Torah on Shabbat and on holidays and on the first day of the month and on the in intermediate days of holidays. And this he derives from the verse that it says that Moshe spoke 
the holidays of God to Israel, right? Which is kind of a foreshortened verse at the end of one of the calendrical cycles. And it says, then Moshe spoke, so why? And then it doesn't continue. It goes on to something else. So therefore, they're the the midrash here is learning to say is is pu- pushing on that to say that what Moshe did is that he let he read from the Torah when he says Moshe Moshe spoke them he spoke them from the Torah so this is where we know that Moshe ordained that the community should read from the Torah on uh, all these days Ezra hit kindly Israel and then it goes on Ezra ordained for Israel that the community should read from the Torah on Monday, on Monday and Thursday and on Shabbat afternoon at the Mincha service Monday and Thursday are market days who and he also ordained that uh, those who have a seminal omission have to go to the mikvah have to dunk in the ritual bath. And that actually, Balei Karyan, is, there's a, a long question of whether or not that actually means a seminal omission or just semen that you see after sex. Who it kin, so he also ordained, He also ordained that uh, the courts should sit in judgment on Monday and Thursday, again, on the market days. Who it kin, and here's the one that we saw also in our Gemara. He ordained that the peddlers should go from city to city because of the honor of the daughters of Israel. Keep that in the back of your mind. He ordained that they should do laundry on Thursday before Shabbat because of the honor of Shabbat. He ordained that they should bake on Erev Shabbat, on the day before Shabbat, so that there would be bread around for poor people. He also ordained, and this is an interesting one, he ordained that they should eat garlic on Shabbat night, Friday night, because it brings in love and brings out lust. And he said that women who want to gossip should do it in the Beit HaKisei, the outhouse. Now we're moving into a little bit into the bazaar. And he ordained that women should wear some kind of an apron or a cloak which covers both their front and their back. explains because of something that happened, an incident, there was a woman that a monkey fornicated with, had sexual relations with, both vaginally and anally, or literally in the normal way and in the not normal way. And then finally, he ordained that a woman should shampoo her hair and comb it out three days before she becomes pure, meaning three days before she goes to the mikvah. So one second on this bizarre monkey incident. This is, seems to be something that is some kind of a, a fantasy that goes around, having to do with women's uncontrolled lust and having to do with the virility of monkeys. There, There's a kind of a tradition of this in Indian Sanskrit folktales, apparently. So aside from that, very bizarre, but it became one of the of Ezra's Takanot. So now the interesting, so so what do we do with this? So the interesting thing is that there is in, as I said before, in Bhavakama, in the Bavli on 82a, there is a list which is denominated as Asarat Takanot Ezra. Ezra ordained 10 Takanot. There are 10 in the Bavli, but it doesn't say that there are 10. However, 
There are other takanot, there are other ordinances, both in the Babli and in, in the Yushalmi, takanot that are not in, that are not in this list. Um, and also the takanot in this list of 10 are not the same in the Babli and the Yushalmi. So for example, in the Yushalmi, you have this takana of baking on Erev Shabbat, which is not in the Babli's takana. And we have those, you also have the takana of women who should talk to each other in the outhouse, which is also not in the list that's in Bavakama. On the other hand, in the list in Bavakama, you have, they list the fact that you read the Torah on Shabbat afternoon at Mincha, and you read on Monday and Thursday as two different takanot, whereas in the Yushalmi's list, they are one takana and the same takana. Um, so there are different lists. And so the, the, it seems that the first time we have, the earliest time that we have this list, as a list of 10 takanot of Ezra is in the Bavli in, in Babakama. Now, why Ezra? So there's an interesting Tosefta in Sanhedrin, which says, Rabbi Yossi Omer, Ra'ui haya Ezra shitinaten Torah al-yado ilmalei kidmo Moshe. Rabbi says that Ezra was worthy of having the Torah given through him, if not for the fact that Moshe came first. They're drawing a, a kind of an analogy between Ezra and Moshe that both of them were on this level that they that Ezra could also have given the Torah. Right? Now we have other places in the Bavli that Rabbi Akiva was that great. But, other, but there's this is not Talmudic figures. This is Ezra who's also a biblical figure, a late biblical figure, but Ezra is a biblical figure. And um, so Ezra is, and now why? Because while Moshe brought Israel at least to the land of Canaan on the other side of the Jordan, Ezra brought Israel back to Israel. Right? They're both exilic figures who came back, who came to some extent towards Israel. Ezra got into Israel. And so he actually started the rebuilding of the temple and perhaps in that way, he succeeded greater than Moshe, than Moshe did. Ezra also, you know, half of the takanot are about sex and or gender, right? You have to eat garlic and Arab Shabbat in order to have sex. You should, a woman has to, this whole bizarre monkey story, mikvah so that a uh, woman and man can have sex. The peddlers that go around from city to city to sell jewelry, um, that's also about uh, at least in, in the Bavli in Babakama, is about uh, the, so that women should not be ugly to their husbands, though in our sugya it just says that there should be jewelry around. So it's around, so Ezra Ezra's known in Safer Ezra, at least especially in the Bavli, that he was the one who forced mixed couples of Jewish men and non-Jewish women to separate on pain of losing all their property. Right? He forced them to come together and then separated them. So Ezra is accredited with, quote-unquote, purifying the seed of Israel. And so Ezra, therefore, these takanot seem to be continuing in that, although there are other parts. So there's also the, the courts and the reading of Torah. Ezra is called the Sofer. He renewed them, so he's accredited with renewing these kind of practices in order to teach the Torah and have the Torah widespread amongst amongst Israel. And also, another interesting thing is that the rabbis ascribe to Ezra the basic power of the court to alienate property from one person and give it to another person, which is the basic power of the court, because if the court can't do that, then it can't ascribe damages, it can't settle lawsuits, because ultimately all these things are telling one person to give money to another person to pay for damages or to pay back a loan, etc., and, and so forth. So to summarize, the list 
that in these in the Talmuds of the ten Takanot that Ezra made is only found in the Talmuds and nowhere else. It's not found in any. It's not found any place earlier, and it's not found outside the Talmud. The Palestinian Talmud doesn't list them as ten Takanot as ten ordinances, whereas the Babli does. They don't list all of the same Takanot, but they list some of the same Takanot. There's one in the in the Ushalmi that women should only talk in, in, in the outhouse, um, which isn't found in the Bavli at all. And there's one, and, and, and the Bavli counts uh, reading Torah on Monday and Thursday separately from reading Torah on Mincha of Shabbat, and the Yerushalmi counts these all as one. So back to our sugya, well, in the list of the Takanot for the reason for peddlers going around from city to city is that, Quote, women should not be seen as ugly by their husbands, and the Palestinian town of the honor of the daughters of Israel. And our Sugya is that jewelry should be at hand for the daughters of Israel. The reason, but then the reason doesn't stay there. It quickly moves from there elsewhere. And that's where we're gonna go, we're gonna go now. We might have expected that we're gonna start getting a disquisition on the ordinances of Ezra, but not at all. This was only brought in in order to say that there is an exception for peddlers, that they can't be refused, that people cannot refuse for them to peddle their wares, their jewelry, if they're jewelry peddlers, so that there will be jewelry, so that women can buy jewelry. Okay, but now immediately, here's the next move. No, so now the Stam is going back and referring back to this and expounding this by saying, this just means that they can go around, but they can't stay there. Right, this is not Lakbuah. They can't open a store. They could just move from town to town. Now this is interesting. If they're however, if they are student, if they are up and coming students of the sages, then you're they're even allowed to stay there. Why? Kiha Durava This is like the case of Rava who allowed Rabyashia and Rabovaja to set up their businesses, not according to the law, the law kilchata, not according to the law. My taima, why? Came in derabananinu atu litardu migrsayu. Since they are sages, so if they would have had to walk around from place to place, then it would have taken them away from their learning. So better than taking them away from their learning, Rabba said, no, you're allowed to set up shop here, even though that's not actually the law. Right. Have you ever come home from a long day of hectoring people on their way to the temple and thought to yourself, where do I go from here? I tell people that God doesn't want their sacrifices. I tell people that Assyria is going to crush their dreams and drag them off into slavery. But am I making a difference? Am I being heard? Do you ever look enviously at the big guys who made it into the book, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and think, what do they have that I don't? Well, sure, they write better than me. Their righteous rage is also touched by a sublime poetry. What about Zechariah? Nobody understands what he's saying, and there he is, one of the twelve. What's that all about? Well, we're here to tell you that it's not your fault. Baboy Ben Pakui, Prophet's Representation, will get you where you know that God wants you to be. We are a Prophets-only, Canon Inclusion, Representation Agency. Make sure your righteous rage gets the audience it deserves with BBPR. And... Only for listeners of this podcast, if you contact us now, you'll get a free consultation. Call us at 1-800-PROFITS-REP. That's 1-800-PROFITS-REP. Tell them Daf Shrui sent you. We're back to the topic at hand, and the topic at hand is who's allowed to be in the town, what is unfair competition, who's allowed to open up a store where. 
So there were these basket makers who brought their baskets to the marketplace in Babel. Babel here not being the large province of Babylonia, but the city of, ba- of Babel, or the smaller province of Babel. So the citizens of the town came and they wanted to stop them. They stopped them from being able to sell because they're coming from the outside. They're unfair competition. They're com- competing with them. Atilakame de Ravina, they came to Ravina. It's only Ravina's only in there's one manuscript that doesn't have Ravina. Ravina is a a a, a sixth generation Amorai, he's a very important Amora, traditionally ascribed to Khatimata Talmud. It's not clear what that means, that the finishing of the Talmud with Ravashi. But they came to Ravina, sage. Amarlohu, me alma atu, ula alma lisbonu. So he said to them, to these basket sellers, you came from outside, you came from the world, literally, and you can sell to the world, meaning that you can't sell locally. Meaning, this is referring to the days of the market, but not on market days you can't sell, because on market days, apparently, seemingly, people from outside the markets would come and buy on non-market days would only be local, so you can't sell, and that would be competition. And even on the market days, I'm not only saying that you can sell in the marketplace, but to go around from house to house inside the town, that you can't do. All right. Second story. Hanu Amurai Da'aitu Amra Lefumnara. So there are these wool merchants who brought wool to the city of Pumnara. That was Rav Kahanasi. So the citizens of the town came and they stopped them from selling. They came before Rav Kahana. And he said, it's actually the law. It's actually appropriate and legal that they stopped you from selling. So they said to him, but so we have a problem because... We have credit. We, we sold on credit. And we have to collect the credit. So therefore, and we have to stay here until we collect our money. And we can't stay here if we don't sell more. Amar Lahusi, he said to them, Zil zavnu shiur akritu vazlitu. So he said to them, go and sell the amount that you need to survive until you collect all of the credit and then you go away. So you can stay here, but you can only sell in order, in order to sustain yourselves. Third story. Ravdimi mi Narda Aiti Grogrot Bisfina. Ravdimi from Narda came another Amora, brought dried dates in a ship. Right? He brought them to, to sell. Amarle Reish Galuta Lerava, the exilarch, said to Rava, Pukhazi Itsubim Rabanan who Nakit Leshuka. So he said to him, go see who this guy is. If he's a Tzubim Rabbanan, if he's a sage, then let him go to the to the market and let him sell. So Rava turned around and went to one of his older colleagues, Adabar Abba, and said, go and literally look inside his vessel. Right? In other words, check him out, see if he knows Torah. And this actually kind of sort of resonates with the uh, Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, which says, Don't look at the vessel, but what is inside it. So he's telling him literally, go look inside the vessel, see who he is. So Nafak, so Rav Adabar Abba went, Bamine, and he and he went to Rav Dimi and he asked him the following question: Peel shebalak an elephant who ate a reed basket from Egypt, an Egyptian reed basket, 
and then uh, got rid of it through his anus, the way one does. What's the halakha? Meaning, a reed basket can become impure, like all vessels can. But a basket made out of dung cannot become impure. So which is it here? Is it considered still as a reed basket, and therefore it can become impure? Or is it now considered a kliglalim, a vessel made out of dung, and therefore cannot become impure? So Dimi looked at him, and lo havabiyadeh, he had no idea, he didn't know, he didn't know the answer. Amarleh, so that's not good for Rabdimi. We'll see in a minute. Amarleh, so Rabdimi said to Rabada Baraba, Mar nihu Rabba, are you Rabba? Tafach And he kind of kicked him in his in his sandal, like in a familiar way. It's like clapping somebody on the back. Amarleh, so Rabada Baraba answered to him, Ben didi le Rabba ikatuva. There's a lot of distance between me and Rabba. In other words, Rabba is way greater than me. Mihu al karchach. But because we've just seen, in other words, by what, what just happened here, the exchange between you and me, or me and you're not knowing the answer, that of necessity, I am your teacher, and Rava is the teacher of your teacher. They didn't allow him to go to market and sell his dates. Pasid and all he lost all of his dates. Atalakami to Rabbi Yosef. So Rabdimi was not happy. So he went to Rabbi Yosef. Amalechazimar my Abduli. Do you see Rabbi Yosef? Do you see what these people did to me? I lost everything. So he said to him, the one meaning God, who did not wait to demand compensation for the punishment to the king of Edom will not delay the punishment for what happened to you either. Dichtiv, as it says in the verse, Ko amar Adunai al shlosha Moab al arba lo ashibenu on three crimes of Moab and on the fourth I will not return them, meaning I will not forgive them. Al shirafu atzmot melech Edom lasid on the fact that they made the bones of the king of Edom, they weakened them like plaster. I mean, they killed, so they, they, they tortured the king of Edom after capturing him. Nach nafsheid Rav Adabarava. At that point, at that moment, Rav Adabarava died. So the story was Rav Dimi came to try to sell his dates in the marketplace. They didn't allow him to sell his plates in the marketplace because he wasn't a Tamil Chacham. He went to Rav Yosef and demanded redress. Rav Yosef said there will be redress from God, just like there was here, a very strong statement, just like God did for Melech, the king of Edom. And then Rav Adabar Abba died. It continues, Rav Yosef, Amar Ana Anishte. Rav Yosef said, oh my God, ah, he was punished because of me. Well, he didn't say, oh my God. He just said, he was punished because of me. Da'ana litayite, because I cursed him. And he's taking responsibility for it. It's not clear whether that's, he's taking responsibility for it and feeling bad about it, or he's just taking responsibility for it. Rav Dimi Minarda, Amar Ana Anishte, Da'afsid Grogrotide. Rav Dimi said, it's my fault because, because Adabar Abba forced me to lose my dates, and that's why he was killed ultimately in the end. Right? Adabar Abba was the one who told uh, Rav Dimi, you can't sell here. And then Rav Yosef said that God will punish him, and he was punished. Abayi said, he was punished because of me, or I punished him. Because... He said to the rabbis, Ad magramito garmi bi be'abaye to achlo bisra shmena be'rava. Before, Rabbi Adabarava would say to the, to the rabbis, before you gnaw at a bone in the house of Abaye, 
you should go and eat fat meat in the house of Rabbah. Meaning, don't waste your time with Abaye's sparse teachings. Go sink your teeth into Rabbah's teachings. So, therefore, Rabbah Rabbah was, was punished. But Rabbah Amar, and Rabbah finally says, Ana anishte. He was punished because of me or through me. Amar lahu letabche, because he would say, Rabbah Rabbah would say to the butchers, Ana shakilna bisra mikame shame de Rabbah. I should get meat before the uh, assistant of Rava. His Shame, which is kind of like his loudspeaker, is the guy that screams out what Rava said. Because I am better than him. So everybody's saying that, wow, all these folks around are saying, it's our fault that Rav Adabarava died because Rav Adabarava, because of our urging, uh, stopped Ravdimi from being able to go into the into the marketplace. But let's, before we get to the last story here, which is interesting in and of itself and takes a little different turn, now what happened? Let's see what happened to the original Takana of Ezra. So the Takana of Ezra was that the peddlers can go around from city to city. And then the the Gemara says that this is, the, the Stam tells us that this is only to go around from city to city, but not to settle. But if it's a sage, you can settle. And then there are stories about people coming from one place to another and not being allowed to settle. Who doesn't allow them to settle? The sages, right? First Ravina, and then Rav Kahana doesn't allow them to sell in their cities. And then finally, the story of the Ravdimi, who's not allowed to sell because, even though he's a sage, because he's not sage enough. Now, ultimately, this is about space, right? Ultimately, this is about who owns space. Now, what's interesting here is that this is, Probably the fact that the ra- that rabbis controlled access to the marketplace is probably not something that's historically accurate. Rabbis did, according to some historians, have limited control of village marketplaces, but it's not clear that actually the historians are saying knowing that, or they say that because it's kind of a, a circular logic. We see that in Bavli, and therefore that's what it was. We do know that, for example, one historian says that the Sasanians, like the Parthians before them, tried to appropriate whole regions piecemeal whenever the opportunity presented itself. One means of achieving the goal was the foundation of cities, which were often existing towns, rebaptized with names incorporating that of the sovereign. And then the practice initiated by Ardashir and continued on his successors. In this, in this way, each new city and equally important surrounding districts came under the direct tutelage of the crown which could thus control the, the entire economic life of a given region, agriculture, crafts, mining, trade, and transportation. And the Sasanian kings, is the time of the Bavli, took care to promote the economies of these royal cities and their hinterlands by ensuring security and transporting to them highly skilled labor drawn partly from conquered populations. So the Jews here are not conquered populations, but it seems that the, the, it is the Sasanian kings who were in the royalty, who uh, were the in direct control of the cities, not in the sense of day-to-day running of the markets, but getting the levies and taxes to support their wars and to support the army and the defense. So ultimately, these stories are about space and who controls space and making a claim, an implied claim, that the rabbis are like the Sasanian kings. They control the marketplace. If you want to get into a place, you have to be a Tzamin Chacham. You have to be a sage. This is kind of like, as others have noted, that when on Shabbat, the rabbis declare something, a Rishut Rabim, or declare something, a Rishut Yachid, a public space or a private space, or they declare a city a city by putting 
by putting the Eruv boundary around it, or by declaring where the Eruv boundary is. These are things which were only in in Palestine, things that the Roman government did. So there also, it seems, the rabbis were imputing to themselves the powers of the of the Romans, and here they're imputing to themselves the powers of the Sasanians. They're basically, it's a claim about, here specifically, Rava's, well, all these sages, but ultimately Rava's authority because of the fact that he gets to say who goes into the market and who doesn't go into the market. It's not only Rava, right? But it's the sages' authority. Who gets to go into the market and who doesn't get into the market? The sages are kind of like the Sasanian authorities here, perhaps. As I say this very definitely, I also pull back a little bit because no, we don't really know. <laughs> but that's what it seems to be. The literary end of these stories is that these stories are not so much about selling and buying. They're also about that, but they're more about who has the power to decide who gets the selling and buying. Because beforehand, we, there were clear rules. You're allowed to go here. You're not allowed to go here. If you live in the, in the joint courtyard, if you lived in the joint alley in the city, then you're allowed to do X or Y. And here, all of a sudden, it gets thrown up in the air because of the power of the rabbis, the power of Torah study, ultimately. All right. One final story. Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak Amar, Ana Anishter. Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak now steps up and says, he's another Babylonian Amora, and he says, Rav Adabarabo was punished because of me, or through me. I punished him. Now, there are two versions to this story. So here's the first version that's founded in the printed editions. Uh, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak was the Reish Kala, meaning he was the, the Kala is an assembly of all the sages in Bavel, which happened in the summer months for a few days. And Rav Nachman was the Reish Kala. He was the like keynote speaker at the Kala. Kol Yoma, Mikami Dineo Lakala, so every day before he went up to the Kala, that was before he gave his speech, before he taught, he gave his shir, he would go over it with Rav Adar Bar Abba, and then he would go in. He would make it rahut. He would make his speech more fluent. He'd improve it with Rav Adar Bar Abba. That one day, the day that Rav Adar Bar Abba died, these two other sages, Rav Papa and Rav Huna Braid Rav Yeshua, who we saw on the previous Amud, took Rav Adabarava because they hadn't been at the previous day's lecture. So they said, tell us what uh, this... Uh, this class, the Shmata, this discussion of Maser Behema, the animal tithing. What did Rava say? How did Rava go through this, this uh, halachic discussion? So Ravada Barava said, this is what Rava said, and that's what Rava said. And so, again, elevating the primacy of Rava. As this was going on, it was starting to get late for Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, who had to go and give the keynote address. So the rabbis said to Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, Kum lama yativ mar. Get up already, it's it's getting late. What, what are you sitting around for? What are you sitting and waiting for? Amar luhu, so he said to them, Yativ mantra la arse Rav I am sitting and waiting or guarding for the beer, B-I-E-R, the deathbed of Rav Ada Bar Abba. Ada Hachi, at that moment, Nafa Kala, the Nach Nafshed Rav Ada Bar Abba. 
At that moment, the word went out that Rav Adabar Ava died. And the Gemara finishes, and it makes sense that actually it was Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak who punished Rav Adabar Ava because of the fact that he made him wait. He didn't allow him to go over the shear with him. So now that's one version. That's the versions in the printed editions. There is a Lishnachrina. There are other versions in uh, that are found only in their founder number of the manuscripts. Here's one from here's the one from Vatican one fifteen, the Vatican manuscript. Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak Amar Ananishtes. Rav Nachman Yitzchak said Rav Adabar Ava was punished through me. Because on that day, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak was supposed to open up the colloquium. He met, he saw Rav Adabar Ava. So he said to him, come, come along to the Pirka, come along to the, to the colloquium today. He said to him, all right, I'm coming, I'll be there soon. I'm coming right away. However, it got late and he didnn't come. Adahachi patach Rav Nachman. So Rav Nachman started without him. La istaya milta. And it didn't go well. It didn't go well. Amar Yehirava the Lishkov Rav Adabarava. He said it should be the will of God, Yehiratan, that Rav Adabarava should die. And that's what happened. So it seems that Rav Nachman was the one who punished Rav Adabarava. And in some of these manuscripts, it's actually Rav Adabarava as opposed to Rav Adabarava. Now, what's interesting here is that the first story, the story that's in the printed edition, has this in not such stark terms, but in this version in the manuscripts, the Lishnachrina in the manuscript, has a direct one sage punishing another sage, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, killing Rav Adabarava because of learning. And that's how actually our daf started. Kinat Sofrim Tarbeh Chochma, the jealousy of sages, competition between sages, will make more learning. Will Learning will, will proliferate because of the competition of sages. But as always, the, the Talmud sees both sides of an issue and realizes that competition between sages does not always come out wonderfully. So just like Rav Dimi Minarda wasn't allowed to sell in the marketplace and he lost all his figs because he didn't know enough, right? he didn't, he, and so there, Kinat Sofrim was not great. And then Rav Adabar Ava was killed by one way or another, finally very directly was killed because of the fact that he had slighted another sage. So this cannot so friend, this competition between sages, especially according to this version, where what happened was because of him, Rav Yitzchak's lecture apparently wasn't so good, that cannot so frim is not tarbeh chokhmah, but in, in a way, kirnaat so frim, tarbeh ke'ev, that the competition between sages also sometimes proliferates pain. All right, so we're going to stop there this week. Thank you so much for joining me in the Beit Midrash in the Closet in these days of coronavirus. Hopefully, you will join me again next week. I am Arye Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T, Irmiklat. The producer this week, as all weeks, is Eli Unger-Sargon, who makes these podcasts intelligible and listenable and uh if you liked what you heard uh and your and our visit together today and our learning uh please go to my podcast page and like it give me a recommendation tell your friends about it bring them back next week and hopefully we'll see you next week again here at daf shui weekly daf give me 40 minutes or so and i'll give you a daf or so stay healthy